You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, hey guys, good being with you. Uh, This morning we're going to be talking about marriage. So um, many of you guys, I understand those of you that are single, you're like, how is this going to apply to me? Well, 90% of singles do get married. Um, For those of you that say, I'm never going to get married again, it's funny thing is, I told my wife we had this pre predetermined plan about uh, being, you know, if God forbid I died or she died, and then uh, would we get married again? And I said to her, I said, sweetie, um, I love you to death. Uh, no pun intended, but I love you. And if if by chance uh, you passed away, would you be okay with me marrying somebody else? And she said, yes, Ryan, because you're going to need help if I was gone. And then I said, would you get married again? And she goes, no, because marriage is too hard work. I'm not, you are enough for one lifetime, is what she said. So I was like, oh my goodness, I love the rawness and the honesty in marriage. Um, so if you haven't registered for the weekend to remember uh, Dennis Rainey Family Life, uh, they created this. I'm a personal friend of Dennis Rainey. He was on my ministry advisory board for years and years at Little Rock, Arkansas, nationwide, worldwide uh, marriage conference. I uh, want to encourage you to do that. I'm tell- most senior pastors aren't going to tell you to, to not come to their church service and go to this conference. But I'd say there's only 10 seats left, okay? So there's not very many spots. If you, if you can't do that, we're going to have an incredible weekend here next weekend at North Valley. My wife is joining me on the stage, and we're going to be talking about romance and intimacy. So that'll be a fun one. PG-13, FYI, parents, you, 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 um, if you want to bring your kids in, hey, no better place to learn about sex education than in the church. So it's going to be a great Sunday here at North Valley, but weekend to remember, if you want to go to that, all the information's online. It's also in the back at the Connect Corner. So, hey, I heard a story about this elderly couple the other day. Uh, they'd been married 60 years. Anybody married 60 years here in the church? Nope. Anybody married 50 years? 40 years. There we go. All right, let's celebrate them real quick. Yeah. It's awesome. Heard this story about this elderly couple been married over 60 years. They were at a church gathering, and someone asked them, what's the secret of success? What's your story? And the man spoke up and he said, he talked about how he treated his wife with respect. And he even took her on trips all around the world. In fact, he said, he said, you know, on our 25th wedding anniversary, I took her to Beijing, China. And everybody's like, oh, that's so sweet. And they clap. And then somebody said, well, what'd you do on your 50th anniversary? And he said, I went back and picked her up. Uh, when it comes to marriage, we got a lot of thoughts behind it. Some of us, it's painful discussion because we've gone through a divorce. Uh, some of us that were about to get married, we're kind of afraid. Uh, some of us that are married, they're like, oh, Lord, Jesus, I need help. Um, some of us are like, it's going great. But the reality is, is we have a lot of different ideas about it. I think there's three major myths about marriage. Number one is that if you find the right one, then it's just going to be smooth sailing. That's a lie. Okay, uh, how do you know if you find the right one? Well, you don't until you marry the one and then you realize, according to God's plan, that's the one you're supposed to be with. You, you can't just run through life thinking, oh, I've got to find the right one. And then because if you believe that idea, I didn't find the right one and because it's not smooth sailing. So as soon as 
things get tough in the marriage, if you believe this myth, then you say to yourself, I must not have found the right one. And that's a very common misconception. It's a bad myth to follow and live by. Second myth I've heard is marriage should meet all my needs. She doesn't meet my needs, or he never meets my needs. I have needs, she has needs. The old Jerry uh, Maguire movie used to say, he said, she completes me. Well, truth be known, there's a big problem with that theologically. You can be single, fulfilled, and absolutely complete in Jesus Christ. You don't need a spouse to be complete. You can find all your needs to be met if you're following God's purpose and plan for your life, period. You can be happy, fulfilled. If you're single and you have this kind of desire that you need somebody, that's very likely God's indication that you need to be married. But this myth is that marriage should meet all my needs is a bad myth because also what happens is is you can over-idealize or even idolize your marriage, your marital partner. You meet all my needs. No, the only person that can meet all of Leslie's needs is Jesus Christ. Ryan Rice can't do it. I don't have the emotional intellect. I don't have the EQ. I don't have the IQ. I don't have the bandwidth to pull that kind of mission off. Marriage should not meet all your needs. It shouldn't complete you. But listen to this. If you're a note taker, outline maker, you might want to jot this down. Marriage won't complete you, but it will complement you. It will, com- it will complement the areas where you're lacking and it can help complement your uh, relationship and the way you navigate life. Third marriage myth is that great marriages shouldn't be hard work. I hear this all the time. It's just too hard. I go to work, it's hard. Raising kids is hard. Now I'm married and it's hard. I- Newsflash. Anything of value, doesn't that take hard work? Think about the professional athlete. Showed up early, started in junior high, uh, practicing, competing, challenging himself, going to the weight room for the cheerleader, working out harder and harder, pushing routines, memorizing things for the reader, the writer, writing, writing, writing. It's always practice, practice, practice. It won't ever create perfection, but it can create incredible progress. So if we think in the marriage relationship that somehow it's supposed to be smooth sailing and not going to be hard work, we fooled ourselves. Sometimes the reality is is that uh, we have seasons in our marriage, uh, Leslie and I would say, is that some seasons are harder than others. Uh, Many of you know Leslie uh, lost her dad uh, here recently and it makes things harder because she traveled away and she went out of state and she got to praise God. She got to have time with her dad and say some uh, connect talk and have conversations while he was coherent and uh, be able to navigate and communicate and in a loving way and say goodbye. And uh, meanwhile, on the marriage front, it makes it more challenging because all the kids are with me and I'm not the greatest um, fami. I'm just a decent father, but I'm not a great fami, okay? A father and a mommy for those of you that were stuck there. Uh, but my point being is it makes marriage harder. 
So do I push back and say, well, you, you, know, you know, you need to close things off and get back here? No, I'm like, take all the time in the world that you need. Uh, it's your father. There's seasons in life, say you lose a job, say you lose a loved one, say you find some physical uh, illness, uh, you know, you have some kind of thing, that circumstance that hits your life. It's going to make your marriage hard. But it can be really good, even in the hardship. So the myth that great marriages shouldn't be hard work, wrong. The greatest marriages are hard. I really think there's only kind of two kinds of marriages. There's bad marriages and hard marriages. Hard marriages are the great marriages because you work hard at it. If, again, if you want to compete and you want to win, if you want to excel in your job, you put in the extra time. If you want a great marriage, you work hard at it. Where do you struggle? Is it communication? Is it romance? Is it intimacy? Is it uh, navigating conflict resolution? I mean, where is it? My encouragement is let's treat this marriage series like a tune-up. You need to kind of tune up your marriage or go to the conference, tune up your marriage. Get an assessment, be real, see where you're at, and then just work hard at it. It's like the Christian life. You've got to work hard at it if you're going to experience and enjoy all the things that God has for you. Learn the Bible, read the Bible, pray, serve, give, walk in the fullness of what God's called us to. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's great. It's just hard. It can be hard. So what is the pattern of creation? I want to talk to you, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. I'm going to run through a number of passages. First thing I want you to see is if we're going to talk about the purpose of marriage, we need to get the foundation for where we're going to get our, our, our biblical and theological mindset for what uh, marriage is all about. First thing I want to show you, God is the creator. He created male. He created female. He created our first parents, Adam and Eve. And so it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Continuing on, um, I want to walk you through the passages. Not all of them all are on the screen, so just listen, or you can dig around there in your Bible. In the first day of creation, we see that God said, let there be light, in verse 3, and there was light. In verse 4, and God saw the light was good. Okay, note that right there. So he's a creator. He creates things, and he says, let there be. He brings something from nothing. He speaks, and it happens and then he says, it's good. Day two, God said, let the waters and the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was good. Day three, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, fruits, trees bearing fruit, and it was good. Day four, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and separate day from night, and it was good. Day five, and God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures and birds fly, and it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, and it was good. Day six. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. But wait, something's missing. In the pattern of creation, he doesn't say it's good. 
Look, what does he say? Something is missing. We're going to see that there's this problem in the creation account, the problem of loneliness. The man's alone. Adam does not have Eve yet. But what does it say? Genesis 2.18, and then the Lord God said, it is not good, notice that, that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Like when Leslie told me, um, yeah, if I died, I would want you to get married. Why did she say that? Because she knows that Ryan Rice is just a, a, a mess or a potential train wreck apart from God's divine uh, common grace to provide a relationship of a spouse to help me out. I need her. I really do. It, it kind of came down to that. I remember sitting on the bank of the Arkansas River. I was uh, discouraged and depressed and was about to hang up the towel and quit on ministry. And she wrapped her arm around me and she said, you're really good at leading people. You're not perfect. You make a lot of mistakes. But I don't think you should give it up because it's hard. I think you just need help. I was like, sweetie, I want to marry you. Um, I was alone. I couldn't do what I felt like the Lord was calling me to do. I didn't have the emotional bandwidth. I needed a, a helper. And she said, I want to be your helper. This problem of loneliness for you singles, you could say, well, what does this mean for me if I feel God's divine calling on my life to be single my whole life? Okay, then walk in that. You could apply this passage to your life. But, you know, it's not good to be alone. You need to be in community with other believers. Yay, good, accept that. Because loneliness is destructive, it's dangerous. The silent health crisis of our generation is loneliness. Right now, there's 10 million people that say that they've been lonely for more than a decade. Right now, uh, um, they're putting out research that says loneliness is more dangerous than physical inactivity, smoking, alcohol, and obesity. There's this issue of loneliness that it, it can deteriorate and destroy you. What is loneliness? It's a lack of meaningful relationships. It could happen at a loss of a sense of belonging. You don't know where you fit. You don't know where you belong. And guess who's the loneliest people of our generation? This is, this is staggering to me. What demographic is it? Is, the, is it the early, is it the, uh, the young folks? Is it the older folks? Who, who's the loneliest? It's actually the age bracket between 25 and 44. How is that? Here's how. Because in that age bracket, never before in ever any generation past has that age bracket gone through so many jobs, made so many transitions to different cities, never held down a sense of permanency, never before has a generation not or had such the instability of the family. Most people, 25 to 44, don't have a father and a mother that stayed together, so the family's broken, so there's all sorts of disconnected relationships. The culture says, if you don't like your job, don't stick around 20 years, just go get a new one. Well, where do we build relationships if we're always on the move? The most isolated generation is that age bracket. What does the Bible say? Then the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a, him a helper fit for him. And once God did that, according to Scripture, once God created male, female, he saw everything that he had made, and it says that, behold, it was 
very good. In, 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 in the scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it was very good. So, God creates male, female. God created Adam. He creates Eve. And together, now it's not just good. It's very good. What is the purpose of marriage? Let's look at the passage of Scripture as what I would say the institutional passage, core passage of marriage. Right now in um, evangelical Bible colleges and seminaries and uh, even in churches, um, they have taken Genesis and say it's not a historical account of how God created the world. They call it Hebrew poetry. So don't take it literally. Just take it metaphorically. I think that's terrible. Genesis is a historical account of what happened. The Bible says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let me just pause on the importance and get you to think a little bit on this. So who did God create? Adam and Eve. Are they the first people on the planet? Yes, according to Genesis, they are. So who would be Adam's father or mother? Who would be Eve's father or mother? This passage, I believe, is written with the foreknowledge and the understanding that this would be a biblical passage to help shape the very institution of marriage for all times and all generations for all peoples. This passage is when it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother refers to everybody's descendants after Adam after Eve. That's why this passage brings such a, a massive implication. It also points out that marriage is between, and you say marriage, I don't see the phrase marriage in there, but do you see the passage about holding fast to, and a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. A wife has a husband. This is a core passage foundational passage for how we view marriage. Today in culture, we've redefined marriage for just two loved individuals, two people that love each other. Let's just look at the Bible. And it talks about a man and a woman. There's great diversity and then there's great unity in that relationship. So understanding the words, understanding the words like what does this all mean? Um, it's important to understand words. Uh, currently, I have an eight-year-old daughter, and she picks up new words and new kind of uh, things all the time, and she doesn't even know what they mean, right? Sometimes we look at the Bible like that. We run through the Scripture, and we don't even know what it means, and we're like, yeah, I don't understand. The other day, she, uh, my little girl Maya comes home, and she says, um, we're driving, and somebody cuts me off in traffic, and she says, Daddy, why don't you just give him the king finger? I said, the king finger? What, what's the king finger? And she, <laughs> she holds up her little hand and goes, it's the big finger, Dad. <laughs> and I said, where'd you learn that? She said, somebody on the bus told me it's the most important finger when somebody makes you mad. <laughs> it's the king, Dad. I said, sweetie, that's, that's cute, but don't use the king finger. When it comes to understanding the Bible, you got to slow down and, and listen and learn. What does the word mean? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. I want to encourage you to think about this. It leave literally means literally leave. It's literally a shift of loyalties from your parents to a new set of loyalties to, with your spouse. 
remember when I first got married, Leslie was cooking something and I was like, that's not how my mama cooks it. She's like, I don't care about your mama. If you want, if you want that kind of food, go back to your mama. <laughs> I remember one time, this is terrible. She, uh, we went on our honeymoon and uh, I'm a hunter and a fisherman and outdoorsman, always have been. I love to be outdoors. And so I, I planned the, I called the whole uh, uh, anniversary trip Adventure Romance. I themed it ahead of time to form expectations, you know, adventure and romance. And I was good on the adventure side, bad on the romance side. So she says to me, what are we going to do? I'm like, we're going to horseback ride. I'm going to hunt. We're going to fish. And she's like, well, are we going to spend time together? Of course we're going to spend time together. So we're on this cabin up in northern Arkansas. And uh, we get into a fight. A, a kind of a significant fight. I don't even remember what it was about. You know, that's how it always goes, right? You fight and then you're like, what are we fighting about? I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, so we get into this fight. It was one of the most significant fights uh, that I can remember back in our marriage. And uh, we were very young. We met and got married really fast, like nine months. I'm like, this girl's amazing. And we got, we met and got married nine months. Um, and no, we didn't have kids until like three years later. So we're, we were fine. So we, we meet, we get married. We, we sit there, because that was the first question all my old friends asked me. Well, you have I'm like, dude, no. Like, I'm a born-again Christian. I don't live like that. So anyway, we're up there in the, uh, on this retreat, and we get into a fight, and then um, I get frustrated, and I was planning on going hunting that morning. I was going to go out and just do some little squirrel hunting. And... Uh, so we get into an argument and she says, hey, uh, we need to talk. And I'm like, I'm like holding my shotgun. I got my boots on. I'm about to walk out the door. And I'm like, sweetie, we just talked. Like we had coffee for an hour and a half. Like I did a Bible study with you. Like, what do you mean we need to talk? And she's like, we need to talk. And I'm like, about what? She's about last night. I'm like, what about last night? I'm like, sweetie, I'm going to go hunting. And she goes, if you walk out that door, uh-uh. And I'm like, then I say something like that, do something like that, and she starts to cry. And I feel bad. I mean, we've been married like a couple days. And uh, I look down at my finger, and I feel that gold ring on my finger, and I'm like, this thing just doesn't even feel natural anymore. Like, it feels cold. It doesn't even fit. I got skinny fingers and this big fat ring. My wife's mad at me. I don't even know why she's mad at me. I've been married a couple days. And literally, thoughts are going, this isn't, this isn't working right. Maybe I made a big mistake. I was dumb. I got married in nine months. Like, what in the world? And then I said, come on, sweetie. Don't be so sensitive about stuff. I didn't go well. <laughs> and then she starts to cry. I'm like, what are you crying for? And then she cries. And then she, she gets down on the ground. She never likes to remember this part of the story. But she gets down on the ground, and she starts crying really loud. And I say, what is going on? And she said, take me home. And I said, to who? And she's my mama and my daddy. And I got my shotgun and I went, Ch -ch -ch, you are home. And I slammed the door and walked out. Yeah, terrible. Bad advice. Don't ever do that. <laughs> so I go hunting. I'm by myself. I'm like, the sky is blue. There's squirrels everywhere. I should be having a blast. I'm miserable. I feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, you're an idiot, Ryan. You are so insensitive. You are such a jerk. You should go in there and apologize to her right away. So I come back. 
And I put my gun down. She's like, did you have blood hunting? I'm like, no, sweetie, I feel terrible. I'm so sorry. And we work it out. Here's the deal. I was thinking that leave these loyalties just meant like she can't leave. She can't go back home. But then, you know, it doesn't mean you're a jerk about it. When you leave the loyalties of your parents, it, it was important. Leslie doesn't need to go back home and cry on her mom's shoulder or her dad's shoulder. And she can't, when marriage gets tough, just say, I'm done with you, Ryan. I want to go back home and spend. What was she going to do? Spend a couple days back home with her mom and dad? Like, no. What does God want us to do to reconcile? What would that require? Repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation. So that's what we did. When it comes to understanding the biblical words, you need to understand not only words like leave, it means literally you need to shift loyalties. Now your loyalty, her loyalty needed to be to Ryan. My loyalty needed, Ryan's loyalty needed to be to Leslie. There's not a, we're not going back to the, the Rice's or the Murray's household. We've got a new household called the Rice household. A biblical passage that you want to hold on to with that mindset, as for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord. Understanding biblical words, leave, shifting loyalties. Today we have a, a, a generation that's been called the extended adolescence. They don't leave home. We have, the, we have the generation that's been labeled failure to launch. They just don't launch and leave mom and dad. This leave means you literally need to leave your parents and go form a new family. That's what that means. Understanding biblical words like hold fast, what does that mean? The Bible says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Uh, your, uh, your passage may interpret that as cleave. Uh, leave and cleave, you've heard it said. Hold fast is a great translation, but what does that mean? It means that you need to be stuck to, bonded to, glued to. It's a continual commitment as a permanent relational bond. It means that you actually got to work at it. Uh, some of you are married to an unbeliever. Um, God would say that you just stay in that marriage, pray for that individual, love them, glue to them, stay to them. You stay there. You stay in the marriage. Are there qualifications or reasons for divorce? Yes, there are. Just a couple. You can go back and listen to my message that I preached uh, about a year and a half ago called uh, What People Want to Know About Divorce. What does the Bible want us to do? Plan A is hold fast. Stay together. Don't use words like, I want a divorce. I remember my wife and I got into an argument and some of my kids came to me and said, started crying and they went back in the back room. I said, what are you, what are you crying about? And, and one of my kiddos said, are you and mom going to get a divorce? I'm like, no. No, we're not going to get a divorce. I said, why do you think that? Well, all my friends, their parents got a divorce. So I was thinking maybe you and mom just aren't working out. And I sat down and I said, Look, bud, uh, your mom and I, we're not getting a divorce. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. We're always going to work it out. Oh, okay, good. I was scared. Maybe I'd have to choose mom or dad. Hold fast means you're stuck to, bonded to, glued to. But notice this, it's a continual commitment. You got to keep working at it constantly. You got to stick together no matter what through thick and thin. Right now in my refrigerator, I've got a drawer, unfortunately, that's broken half. Um, when you get tired and you're, uh, or frustrated, angry, and hungry, it's called hangry. 
And I went to the kitchen the other day and I ripped out the drawer as fast as I could and I snapped the little plastic piece. And so what we have to do is we have to super glue that thing together and it, it holds, but you really got to work at gluing that drawer together to hold it together. In the marriage relationship, you've got to work hard at keeping things glued together. You got to cut things off like anything that would sound temporary. I've heard couples talk about, well, we have different accounts. She does this, I do this, or um, she has only her friends and I have my friends and we have two separate lives. They do two separate things. Where do you come together? They say words like divorce. They do stuff like prenuptial agreements. I'm just saying the biblical language here is to be stuck to, bond to, glued to. It's continual. That's why we're going to see the call is, is not to live separate identities, but together, a whole unified vision. Look what it says, and they shall become one. What's the goal? What's the purpose of marriage? It's to become one. Literally, it's like a sharing of the soul. When you, are, when you consummate the marriage through sexual intimacy, there is literally an emotional, spiritual bond that takes place, a physical bond. God designed it that way, and you become one. That's why when you get a divorce, when that happens, it's like ripping people apart. It's literally like ripping flesh, heart, soul apart. Those of you that have been through a divorce could tell me, testify, is incredibly painful. What's the goal? It's to become one. Become one's meaning this ongoing emotional, physical, and spiritual intimacy between one man, one woman within the context of marriage. And what the Apostle Paul says was really interesting about this is that he refers back to Genesis. This is a couple thousand years later, thousands of years later. He refers back to the core passage out of Genesis, and he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. It's a profound mystery. Becoming one is a mystery. How does Ryan become one with Leslie through relational, emotional, and physical intimacy. That's what I want to talk to you about next week. Leslie's going to join me on stage, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the magic and the maintenance in, in, in intimacy. But becoming one is God's heartbeat for us. You become one. When my wife's out in public and she speaks and she says something and then they come back to me, people, hey, your wife said this or that. And I'm like, well, our family has spoken. Whatever she says is what I'd say. That's how close we are. You know how the kids work, right? They, they're trying to circumvent you. They'll go to one, hey, um, mom, can we do this? No. And come to dad. Dad, could we go do a little more electronics, play some video games, blah, blah, blah. What'd your mother say? No. Then No. Quit asking. The two are one. When you get married and you, you need to understand this idea of becoming one and holding fast is not just a one-time event. You got to keep working at it. And it's a mystery. Why is it a mystery? Because the marriage mysteriously reveals God's love to the world around as the husband and the wife model love and respect and forgiveness. That's what the Apostle Paul was after. That's what he was saying. When a husband and a wife become one emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, there's like an offense made and there's a confession, I'm sorry. And then the other spouse says, I forgive you, I love you. That's permanency. 
That's gospel kind of love. And what do you do? You're reflecting that to the world around you. This is how our relationship works. When there's sin, grace abounds. So I want to encourage you as you look through and do an evaluation of your own marital relationship, perhaps, or for those of you that are planning to be married or praying about that, I would encourage you to look at the passages of Scripture we've talked about today. Next week, join Leslie and I as we walk through what it looks like to have intimacy in the marriage relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your word and the authority of your word, the joy of your word, the truthfulness of your word. And I pray now for my friends to apply it to their life. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in the next few weeks as we look at great marriages. Um, Lord, I pray for all those that are hurt and need healing. Might you grant incredible grace to heal the hurt heart. Lord, I pray for where there's callousness. I pray that they would have the courage to step up and face some of the problems. And Lord, for those that are seeking to be married, God, might they look to you, focus on you, and uh, Lord, as they pursue marriage, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.